Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. The Word is proud media partner of Latitude Festival. For more information and to purchase tickets, go to www.latitudefestival.co.uk. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. In the reign of Jockey Crana, yeah, we had the professionals on the cover, who were Steve Jones, Paul Cook, and A. Another. Oh, right. Like yeah, long hair. hair. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you very know. long play. He played the bass. Yeah, very long yeah, hair. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> and I... <laughs> He was a great thuggish-looking uh, individual. Yes, he, he didn't belong. He was all. probably yeah. a diamond geezer, though, underneath it. Uh, he was certainly been a diamond geezer. And uh, talk about a walk-on part in the in the rich history yeah, of rock and roll. Dave thinks they never released a single. Who? The professionals. Did they? I, I thought they had one quite good record. Well, I think Jockey was so keen to come on there. Why? Well, because anything to do with the Sex Pistols, literally anything at that point was commercial. Was it? I bet it was. I bet they were on the cover of the NME. Because you see, the, the interesting thing about punk rock is it was commercial years after it had happened. They were on the cover of the When well, it suddenly, it, it disappeared, you know, suddenly all the teenagers in Britain caught up with this thing after the Sex Pistols had broken up and whatever and started ordering their mail order bondage trousers and so forth and wanting anything that was punk, didn't they? Yeah, no, it became. Well, it became sort of pop, didn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like just... in America. Christoph just talked the other day about the fact that America has got house music with David Guetta. And I said, well, remember, they did get punk with Billy Idol. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a delight. Much as, of course, we love Sir William Idol. But, Sir William, uh, I know. I've got to ask you this question, Neil. This was sent in by... Um... Gagarin, who always sends this question, if it kicked off between Pet Shop Boys and Sparks, who'd win? Well, it did kick off. <laughs> oh, oh he's, what, he's stumbled on a, <laughs> on a rich seam. On Come a on. raw nerve. No, there was the thing in... Uh, he, I mean, this is all fine now, by the way. Yeah, um, go on. But uh, in another monthly rock magazine, um, one of Sparks said... Was talking about their massive influence on pop duos. He said, I mean, he said, I mean, there are actually Petro Boy songs that we've written. And I got really annoyed. And I yes, wrote said, a letter. That's illegal. That's illegal. I wrote to, um, I actually sent a letter in to, to Q. And right. I said it now, and they printed it. 
Needless to say, the week it was published, who should I bump into at a rehearsal studios in West London but Sparks? Uh, was it a cordial exchange? They were very apologetic and very nice. Were they? So that's when it nearly kicked off. Oh, right. But it didn't. So he stumbled upon something. Yeah. yeah. And loads of questions about why you're, why you're touring with Take That. Why we're touring with Take That? Well, because they asked us. It's a good reason, isn't it? They but asked why us. Wouldn't you? It's a stadium tour, isn't it? Aren't well, actually, it is. They tour? asked us and we turned it down. And then they were working with Stuart Price on their album. And um, Stuart is married to our manager, Angela Beckham. And they all said to Stuart, why won't they do it? And so we thought about it again. So, and, they, and they said that we were going to be, actually be part of the show. Because um, in the show, you know, you've got Take That as four, Take That as five, and Robbie Williams. And so you've also got... Oh, oh I see. So it's a drama within a... Yes. Don't tell oh, me Robbie Williams comes on last. <laughs> that would be clever. <laughs> yeah. oh, don't say, I've probably I already said too much. Oh, my <laughs> God. That would be... Uh, yeah. But anyway, you know, I mean, they are playing in Manchester... Seven nights at a stadium. Our agent was telling us that he has American promoters phoning up saying, "Why does this take that thing?" Yeah, I bet. Uh, because there's actually means- no one in the world could play seven nights at a stadium in Manchester, apart from Taylor. So what? Like, seven, seven Couldn't get the Rolling Stones. You two struggled to play too. Yeah, yeah. Um, seven, yeah even the Foo Fighters. So was it actually, it's not seven. Three. It's eight. It's seven Wembley stadiums. Was it 50,000 a, a time? Seven Wembley stadiums. Oh, God. Now, I think the only, 80, the only act that could ever have done this historically would have been Michael Jackson, wouldn't it? I suppose so. I don't think at anyone's height, I don't think Madonna could have done that, or you 2 at their absolute peak could have done this. How eight could you? Nights. So they are now the biggest British group of all time, but measured Light like in that. Britain, yeah. Four, four nights at Sunderland. <laughs> <laughs> And you, and you know Sunderland. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't know Sunderland very well. Um, Sunderland Stadium of Light. There was a further question on the take that uh, front. That so I, that's sort I've, of why we're doing. I've lost the question actually. That said, uh, inspired by take that, have you ever thought about kicking Chris Chris out and then letting him back in? Chris and I've always I've often discussed that. But it's a shame we've never broken up. Really. So um, the reunion tour. So yes, we get it's a brilliant idea. Together. With two solos and a reunion. With Chris sort of in a corner on the stage, having to look slightly less grumpy than usual. <laughs> as if he's really pleased. Oh, hi, waving. <laughs> Looking contrite. That's very yeah. good. Yeah. Look, I wanted to read something out that I found out in the attic. And I don't know. I was going to, want to read two things. I'll start with this one, actually. I, I want the, 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 the viewers to guess who... Well, you probably can guess who the author of this piece is, actually, because we're talking to him. Um, but you've got to guess who he's, he's writing about. This is Marx. This is how the, the piece, uh, piece opens, the first paragraph. It says, Marx feeling a bit chesty today. Oh, I remember this. <laughs> he's got to go and see a specialist tomorrow. There's no mistaking him when he walks into the room with his headband and mascara, black clothes and two different earrings. Only a bad cough and sudden burst of nervous laughter interrupt his continuous staccato chatter. It is, in fact. David, it's the cover story of Smash Hits. It's been in, Mark Armand. It's Mark Armand. It's off July the so 8th. what year are we talking about? July the 8th, 1982. And look, here's another one. I've got to read you this. It's brilliant. And this is a prophetic um, review by Neil Tennant in the reviews. Oh, when was this one? This is uh, Bauhaus on the cover, October 28th, 82. It's of a Grandmaster Flash and the Furious uh, Five record, The Message. Good record. And it says, exactly, it says, 
In 50 years' time, when your grandchildren return from their late 20th century popular music class at school, they'll probably cluster round your armchair and ask Grandad, what was rap? It's good, isn't it? It's very good. good. Flipping on this LP, you'll be at a loss to explain why the Grandmaster of Rap actually sings a bunch of substandard disco songs. Oh, actually, yes. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Do you know I didn't read the second part? Do you know what that is? But the point is... It's the album. It's yes. the album. The album, the album was rubbish. Yeah. The, the single, of course, is a masterpiece. Now, that review is clearly yeah. inspired by Tony Barrow's uh, sleeve notes for Beatles for Sale, in which he says, in which he says, when yeah. in the yeah. year 1990 yeah. or whatever, so he wrote this 65, 66 or whatever, yeah. you ask some cigar-smoking kid on Venus, he asks you what the 60s were all about... Don't try and explain about the screams. Just play him this record. He'll get the same sense of well-being from it as we do now. And it was the only true thing ever written on a, on a sleeve note. Which 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 oh, record yeah. was that? Beatles for Sale. That's I think fantastic. it's Beatles for Sale, isn't it? It's Tony Barrow who wrote that. Yes, yeah. I think it is Beatles for Sale. And I don't think I think you were borrowing that. You didn't know you were doing it. Yeah. No, I, it might have been a deliberate reference. No, it, it could have been, been. homage. So when you read that stuff, when you yeah. hear that stuff quoted from years ago, can you yeah. remember writing it? I have no recollection at all of the message album review. Although, actually, Phil, if I can picture the album cover, um, the Mark Almond one, I remember quite clearly. Right. Um, but there's another. I mean, I'm not. Mark Almond, of course, lest we forget, was one of Britain's biggest pop stars at that point. He was huge. That, I think that was written when they had. You know, they made like five. They had a, a stream of like five amazing singles from. From Tainted Love, Bedsitter, Torch, and I think this one's called Why. Um, and then they went more underground, didn't they? And it was, it was what, less pop tastic. And what I love, because I found quite a few of your things, because as anyone that's listening does a good picture know, of. Um, great picture. It's wow. It's wow. It yeah. No, it's great, isn't it? But as well? anyone who really doesn't know, is that Neil worked on Smash Hits uh, with myself and, and briefly you, Dave. In fact, Dave, didn't you give no, Neil a you job? You gave me the job. I gave you a I job. I think so. I remember negotiating Neil's salary in the calf round the corner, as Neil thought, even if I don't get the package I'm looking for, <laughs> 4000 or whatever, 8000 I can't remember, he thought, I'm going to get a good meal out of this. <laughs> I never forgot <laughs> this. I said, do you want pudding? He said, yes, I'm having pudding. <laughs> Fill your boots. <laughs> yeah, apple pie and That's custard. Great. I remember this. Clearly. Was it at the... Um... The, what was it called? I can't remember. The all bon, the bon bier, whatever it was. No, it wasn't. It was the, the one in Lexington Street. I can't remember. The, anyway, the, go um, I love the fact that I mean, this, here's one from when you interview uh, two 19-year-olds from Bushy Hearts oh, yeah. who play all British rap and funk. I meet all sorts in this job, claims Neil Tennant. That's got you written me. But what I love about it is that already Neil Tennant has changed his agenda in terms of his interviewing these people to something far more professional far more to do with uh, actually making music than, than the, the average 12-year-old <laughs> I- I reader would, would want to know. So when he talks to um, George and Andrew of Wham, he says, uh, we hated what our producer was doing, so we sacked him, says Andrew with a grin. George did the remix while well, I fell asleep. Probably a, 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 a modus operandi adoption by the Pet Shop Boys. It is very it's brilliant. And I remember you going to interview um, Marilyn. That was a class. Do you remember that one? Well, I think it was my last feature. When are we talking about? It was great because on the plane on the way there, apart from the punters, was me, Mariella Frostrup and Lynn Barber. Good God. No. Yeah. 
all, all going, all going, all, all going, all going to interview Marilyn. The head well, actually, of Mariella was doing the press, of course. Yes, of course she was. And um, it was, no, it was. So where did you go? Where was this taking place? It was in New York. Marilyn was staying at an uber cool hotel, one of the first, um, by the guy that owns the Royalton and all those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I his name now. And, um, Schrager. Shre- Ian Schrager, the first Schrager hotel. It was very, and it, we were in this room that was incredibly minimal. First really minimal interior I ever walked into, and it was incredibly dark. And Marilyn was in a very miserable mood, for actually perfectly good reasons, really, as the piece points out. And then he had this amazingly cool launch party for his album at the club area in New York, which was which had live art installations. And they had, they had all, loads of people dressed as Marilyn Monroe standing on grids with air blowing up. So oh, they, were, they were doing the seven-year rich. Oh, that's it fantastic. was amazing. Is that a live art installation? Too? Yeah, it was a totally amazing thing. Anyway, then Marilyn comes on to sing Calling Your Name or something, and he sort of shuffles on a bit, actually. And then there's a scream of feedback as he opens his mouth, and he looks bewildered and walks off. And as I cruelly said, he walks off the stage and never should return. Never should return. <laughs> yeah. um, that was it, was it? Again. That and was sadly, the, uh, that was his... Swan um, song. That was his... Yeah. That was his moment. That was his... Actually, the high moment. point of Marilyn's moment was when you were on Jim Will Fix It with Marilyn oh, and Mark Ellen. Oh, that was great. Yes. Which was... Yeah. Uh, well, I've still got a tape of that, actually. <laughs> and we used... It was a long period of time. I actually used to play that. You know, people came around for supper or something. And people started to demand it. You know, in the same way as people bring out a fine brandy or a cigar, <laughs> they would want you to get see out me on Jimble Fix It with Jimmy Savile. And <laughs> Jimmy Savile, who calls me Mr. Music, doesn't he? You remember? Do you remember? Mr. Smash It. Because no, you can't music. remember your name. You can't remember that. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Music. And Marilyn, who is just absolutely hilarious. And we were backstage, I can remember, with, there was some... You remember Jim Fix It? always used to have people from the armed forces or the services. Yeah, yeah, yeah always. And they had a load of um, very attractive blokes dressed up in, in Victorian firefighting uniforms, <laughs> which Marilyn, was, who was enormously interested in them... <laughs> Had to be prized away from that dress. <laughs> Come on, say what it was. What was just... the nature of this child's wish? Oh, very good question. A girl uh, had her. She wanted Jim to fix it to, that she could be on the cover. Do you remember? We, we, so that was yes, it. Was, a de- it was actually a bit of a deal done, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, well, on everything on Jim will fix it. Wasn't and so yeah. it, we're not, we're not with Marilyn. She just wanted to be on the cover of Smashes. So it was up to me to find a cooperative pop star who would. Uh, Play along with us, and he was so desperate for publicity. <laughs> no, I don't so think you know the high and mighty. I think Duran Duran would have felt a bit above all this, but he no. was desperately wanted to be on the cover. It was just a living nightmare. The whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing, though. We're just saying book. before we started recording, though. You're looking at these these old copies of Smash Hits, and you've got Peter Murphy of Bauhaus is on the cover of yeah. Smash Hits. Well, Bauhaus used to be on top of the pops. I suppose we forget. And, and we? also, Smash Hits was much more what we would now call indie. Yes. Then people remember it. Uh, and also it was more earnest. You, you, I mean, you remarked in uh, talking about Wham, I'm writing, I'm unbelievably writing about the music. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does astonish Wouldn't enter anyone's head now. Uh, no. <laughs> but unbelievably in those days, one wrote about the music as well. And that was because it's, it had a very serious agenda as well as... You know this sort of humour and 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 glossy pictures, but it, it also worked on the on the principle that, as evidence by the fact we used to print the song words, is, is that that the relationship between the people reading these articles and the music was incredibly close, wasn't it? The lyrics, yes, what they meant, the soap opera yeah. of these songs and how they reflected on their lives were fantastically important. The thing I find myself thinking about most, with most amazement, when I look back on Smash Hits in the early eighties, is that every night. The 13, 14, 15-year-olds of Britain went home. 
they got out their Friends Forever notepaper and a pen, yeah. and they actually wrote, joined up thoughts yeah. about <laughs> who they'd like to see in the magazine or yeah. responding to something that somebody said in an interview or have you got the lyric wrong, and they did this in their thousands. Yeah. And, you know, it's something that's disappeared from the culture. Well, totally. surely people would send emails now. Yeah, but if they well, if they if they did, well, I don't know. They don't send emails. They tend to communicate via your website or whatever. Yes. You know, they're they're involved in a kind of rolling. I mean, have you ever uh, have you ever read the Pop Justice Forum? Yes. Yeah. Well, Peter Robinson. Yeah, yeah look, according to Peter Robinson, it's only about twelve people apparently. Um, yeah. Well, well it's twelve because of maniacs, you know. But they write twenty-four but they, hours. But they write. Yeah. They pretty much do, and they're, but they're older than what you're yeah, in, yeah, the, in yeah. your twelve, thirteen-year-old. Um, but they write often quite considered um, stuff about about marketing and, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and, yeah. and, the, and they seem to understand how everything works yeah. in a way that people didn't used to. But they were starting to get to understand it, yeah. I think, and think at that point. But I just can't get over the amount of energy that was used in yes. that kind of thing. And, and I remember the first time we had a reader's poll, a proper reader's poll. This is it, the one I've got here. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've I think I think there were forty thousand. Yeah. Entries. Oh God! Was, yeah, there's always tons. And they we sat had to there in sacks. Yeah. And believe it or not, kids, we counted. We counted. counted them. We counted. Them. We bloody counted them. We manually. all used to get <laughs> drafted in. We were yeah, getting we drafted. Yeah. yeah. Work on the weekend or whatever. Yeah. Used to have long. Be huge, great boards like kind of cricket averages or yeah. something like that. Exactly, and, it, and you go a, George Mike, well, most man. fanciable yeah. man in pop, and somebody would go Taylor. on one yeah. every time they got a vote, yeah. and then when there was ten, yeah. they would cross it a through, would and they, they'd yeah. you know they'd round them up. And yeah. each of those postcards would be sent by somebody who had. Not just sent the postcard and got oh, the address, but postcard, a postcard, yeah, yeah a postcard. <laughs> I know, but they would also have coloured it in. They would colour the bordering, and they would have coloured it in and put little jokes on the front. Oh, absolutely, there. And probably sort of uh, thought bubbles. If yeah, there's a yeah, picture yeah. postcard with somebody on it, it'd be sort of saying thought bubble would be saying, "I'd love to meet Neil Tennant. He's dreamy." <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And they would fill in the little eyes and uh, above the, above the letter I, the, the, the little dots would be filled in or whatever. The, it's the in the, It feels to me like a completely vanished world. I was I was reminded of this recently. Um, we're clearing out the attic at home, and and I found an old copy of the Guardian from 1981. When did you join Smash Smashes? 82. Okay, 1981. TV listings. How many TV stations in Britain? Has Channel Four launched yet? No, no three. That's the clue. Three. Three. Yeah. three. It's astonishing. There's no breakfast television. No, that launches in 82. I think. Well, yeah, possibly. Uh, Disastrously. Everything closes everything yeah. closes at midnight. Sensibly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, it doesn't now really. Everybody goes home and gets some sleep. And there's no yeah. soaps on the telly. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, a golden age, obviously. And, uh, yes. Oh, we were happy then. <laughs> the thing that strikes you is it, it's the nineteen seventies, really. It's not the eighties. That's still the nineteen yeah. seventies. Yeah. Right? What we think of as the eighties yeah. is a lot later, isn't it? You know, the, well, it's one of the massive explosions. Um you know, the long 80s versus the short 80s. Because oh, I think the 80s oh, is really short. When did, when did the 80s start? Then? The 80s starts probably, if we, if we do it in strictly pop terms, probably with Culture Club at the end of 82. Oh, and right. by 88, it's house music's come in. 
Right. It's all over. So the 90s has started, in fact. The 90s. It started early. In the, in the same way, the 60s, I think, is just really 63, 4, 5, 6, 7, and then 68, the beards. Yeah, beards, frog, <laughs> long guitar and solos. It's, and it's the 70s, yeah. which is going to last till the middle of 1982. That was so John Savage, though. Yeah. Remember John Savage? I saw the John Savage that I talk about endlessly. I know, yeah. I remember John yeah. Savage ringing me up once and I was talking about the band. The band. He said, you can hear the beards. Which I love that idea. Put the phone down a bit. But Danny Baker always says that, that about, about the 70s, that if you look at the first part of the 70s, you know, I don't know, between... Well, between Woodstock and the it's Sex Between Pistols, Woodstock and the Sex Pistols. The staggering amount yeah. of change in yeah. that short period of time has yeah. never been duplicated. Reggae, since. disco, glam... Yeah, uh, kind of Steely Dan, singer songwriters, yeah, computer, absolutely yeah, everything. Yeah. Rock. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. it's extraordinary when you look back on it. So, go, have you got the no, results? I've got one. Of that, actually, no. Looking at the results, I, I just results wonder if you two could possibly guess Fraser Two in nineteen eighty two. Who the readers v- voted as uh, the most promising new acts? Nineteen eighty two. Probably, probably, I might have given some clues about my shit. Well, Wham, Wham must be. Wham are there, number four, actually. In with the bullet, number four. Musical Youth, of course, number three. (laughs) Above them is Culture Club. The readers thought were promising. They might go somewhere. Tears for Fears, number one. Lower down, it gets a bit wobbly. Blue Zoo. Spandau Ballet? What happened? Spandau Ballet, I think we're established, of, already established. Well, Farmers Ball is 18. come up and started... We're, we're secretly thinking they've gone down the okay. dumper, but they're yeah. about to come up with the truth. Let's so, so, I was just doing some DC Still funny. Still funny. Still funny. We went out for a meal about... It's about 15 years ago. Uh, you and me and I think Dave Rimmer was there. He used to write for Smash Hits. Yeah. And uh, Birchie and also John Savage. And we played this incredibly funny game, which was... Who was the person that we'd all... Which were the bands we'd all interviewed the most? Can you remember that? And, the, and, and, yes. and, and, and we'd all interviewed Paul Weller four times. Oh, yeah, I interviewed Paul. Uh, I think we'd all interviewed Culture Club five Paul times. Paul Weller was... sent me a copy of his last album. Oh, Did he? No, no. Paul Weller sent me a copy of his last album. With a note? Pretty good album, actually. Yeah. That's uh, what some people say. Yeah, it's, um, it's a very... There's a very... Track three, which I, I forgot the name of now. It's, it's a really, really good song. Um, anyway, with a little note. It, and um, it was very... Did, did it refer to Smash It? Did you remember the old... Did it mention anything? Because you interviewed him. In fact, there's a review of the last times. I interviewed jam I was concert. the Paul Weller correspondent, correspondent for a while. The final I was the police correspondent. You were the... Uh... Yeah, I was mostly Mary Wilson, I think. <laughs> 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 who I hearted. <laughs> but Neil reviewed the, the Jam's final concert at Wembley Arena. Do you Absolutely. remember that? certainly do. Yeah, yeah. the tears yeah. in his eyes. Tears. Probably yeah. sizing up Wembley Arena yourself in your head, thinking, we can take this. Uh, no, yeah. I don't think I was thinking that. Um, no, but I'll tell you, the person we all interviewed the most was Banana Rama. We'd all interviewed Banana Rama, I think, six times. No, I only interviewed Banana Rama once. Oh, was it? And... Actually, I, we, we occasionally see Bernard Rama, and um, I've even discussed this with Siobhan Farhi before, because I said to her, you were shaking with nerves. Really? She was, Siobhan. To be interviewed well, by Smash Hits. I don't, yeah. yeah. She was, and she said she, she was very really, young. really nervous. Um, whereas the other two... Yeah. Um, 
I interviewed Bananarama, and yeah, they must have been... I mean, they were very young. I think she was about 19, Siobhan. And they were just so excited that Eugene Manzi, our old pal who was doing the press, <laughs> said, look, girls, I'll tell you what, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll get you a lunch. And they said, where do you want to go? And they said they wanted to go to Burger King, which had just opened, yeah. actually. In and <laughs> well, Burger King had a new offer, right, which was... Uh, 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 I can't remember what it was called now, but it was basically a, a, a triple burger. It was like a three-quarter-pound burger with cheese. And they, they... Because it was free food, I think, they just, just said, come on. And they ate... Each tried to eat a three-quarter pound burger, and then were absolutely hopeless to interview because they were just lying around saying, "I don't feel very well." Wasn't that the day when you took Banana Rama out on the town oh, for yeah. the day oh, yeah, for yeah. the cover feature? Yeah. Now, uh, and, uh, with a Charles and Di lookalike, how very tropical <laughs> that is! <now. laughs> we have a Kate and Will's lookalike now. You're absolutely right. Uh, you, we this, have the this fire. This is 1981 again. You see, yeah. that, that, that's yeah. why I was yeah, asked yeah, to yeah. talk about this on the radio. Yeah. Um, because didn't you take them to London Zoo? I did. London <laughs> Zoo. And we took them up the fire Innocent monument. times. We took the Buckingham Palace with a Charles and Di lookalike. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> Cost a lot of money, that feature, actually. What's the most ridiculous thing you've, uh, Pet Shop Boys, have ever been asked to do in the name of press, Neil? Well, the thing we used to get asked to do about once a month... But this was in the late 80s, sorry. Back on microphone. Back, back on microphone. <laughs> we used to get asked to do a lot was, we've had a great idea for a feature... We go shopping with the Pet Shop Boys. Oh, right. We go S-H-O-P-P-I-N-G <laughs> with the Pet Shop Boys. And we've never done it. We always just say, that's how you know. No, 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 I'm sure. The enemy used to do that every time yeah. there was a skinhead group. They would take the skinheads bowling. Because <laughs> there was a hilarious song. Do you remember? Take this camera. No, it's Cabba Van Beethoven, actually. It's yeah. come back to me. <laughs> so, yes, the, the, the headline does this. We've mentioned this in, in Word 100. I went through all the uh, old uh, issues, uh, all 99 of them, and I found some great headlines, which had obviously, that's the idea of the feature was simply the headline. One was called Hitler, My Part in His Download. <laughs> Andrew Harrison found an article about the Third Reich Chancellor had been scanned and put on a website. It's all about him showing you around his country retreat in Austria in 1936. I was trying to remember last night, I Neil, um, you were briefly at Smash Hits. We used to call you Chili Tea. Chili Tea was because <laughs> I liked hip-hop and, and New York dance stuff and... There were a lot of people Everybody with had names a name like, like Chili T. Yeah. It was actually Linda Duff um, <laughs> that christened me Chili T. Who uh, did the Get Smart column. Who did the listeners. Get Smart column yeah. and went on. Because actually, when I was leaving Smash Hits to do the Pet Shop Boys full-time, I was amazingly approached by the Sun to ask if I'd like to write the Bizarre column. Good God, I never knew that. Um, as Neil Tennant. As Neil Tennant, the guy that, from Smash Hits. And I said, no, actually, I'm leaving to do this thing. And I said, but there's, there's, uh, there's a young woman here who I know wants to do journalism and, um, and she has a lot about pop music. And so they interviewed Linda. Because of that, she, through she various circuitous the star, she entered the mirror and then the star. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think she ever actually did much at the, at the Sun. But, um, you were also known as Dr. Bits, weren't you? Thing. Were you known as Dr. Bits? I was that? known as Dr. Bits, Dr. Yeah, Bits because you were in charge of the... The front the section, section, the news section was called yeah, Bits. Yeah. I, well, I, famously, you employed me because I was in book publishing to do the Smash It's Your Book. Absolutely. No? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, and actually, I don't remember the lunch, but I'm sure it was your hand lunch. <laughs> anyway, nonetheless, on my first day, it was casually mentioned to me when I sat down at my desk that I was the news editor. <laughs> <laughs> it was just casually mentioned to me. <laughs> um, 
Um, That's how you go. And I, you know, I didn't. I just said, oh yeah, okay, fine. Um, but it hadn't. No one has actually said anything about that when I was being. I just had a, a, one of those mental <laughs> flashes when you left. Uh, uh, anybody listening will probably know there's a, a grand tradition in journalism. Somebody leaves. The cover. So you mock up. You mock up the cover of the magazine. Yeah. Their face. So right alone. Yeah. Hilarious cover. Well, I'm ashamed to say, uh, uh, listeners, that when Neil Tennant left, having formed a group called the Pet Shop Boys, and the worst thing was that we used to love your records. You used to play. You used to come in with cassettes. He'd made with Chris Lowe. Chris would wait in reception for you. Do you remember? Then you go off down to the well, studio. Well, Chris actually Molinaire, often, I think would often because my desk was famously beside the. Um, Record player. Yeah, yes. Chris would often come in and stand and sort of dance a bit. Yes, he, did, he did, yeah, he did. <laughs> he would. He'd he actually start sort of feeling uh, a bit. Too. He did, but I remember you used to make these cassettes, and you made a cassette of. Um, well, of course, Scoffer used to make me copies of them to rent. give to record companies. That's right. A real, yes, and the only, the only cassette machine we had at one point was the answer <laughs> phone. Do you remember this? There was an answer phone. If somebody rang up, it would record a little tiny cassette. And that was the only thing we could play at time. You'd beat off to, I think, Molinaire Studios. Am I anywhere near right? Was a studio nearby? Oh, uh, that was like, nah, well, like yeah, the thickest thing at Molinaire. Oh, well, God, we'll do that in a minute. That's great. Yes. But anyway, yeah. so Neil used to come in, he's close. And we all thought, <laughs> we thought we're going to do that in a minute. Yeah. We're going to do that in a minute. Yeah. And we all thought, <laughs> actually, you know, I've got that at home. We yeah. can dub oh, that into absolutely. this. It's probably on Pet Shop Boys. God, no, maybe not. <laughs> no, maybe <laughs> not. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, and Neil would come in with his... And I think Dave and I particularly <clears throat> had known various pals who tried to be successful pop musicians with absolutely no success at all. And I started, I used to think, like, no friend of mine will ever be <laughs> successful. Much as we like... Everyone thinks that. We all think that. And when, yeah, yeah. when Neil's, uh, when Neil, I thought that about us. Really, to be honest, I didn't really. Did you? I didn't really think we would. It was impossible to imagine, uh, yeah. and also having because of Smash Hits being close to the to it all happening, I sort of thought it wasn't wouldn't really happen. But I thought I'd have a good a year out, and it would be fun. Absolutely. Um, but when you left, we, we mocked up the cover. Like, I think I can still remember the cover line. In fact, you once talked about this on Radio 1. I, I remember blushing. Listening to it. <laughs> and the cover line was God. something like, uh, it said, Neil Tennant, in big letters, something like, uh, it said, uh, um, how I gave up my uh, my top job on Britain's Brightest Pop Mag, yeah. that's right, to form the Pet Shop Boys, uh, and it all went disastrously down the dumper, and I, I came crawling back and asked for my job back on the Bits Machine, or yeah. whatever it was. Something yeah. like that, yeah. Uh, by Neil Tennant, see page 27. It's, it's like we, the legend, the lunches. <laughs> yes, it was. It was. And I remember it. And then, sorry, I've got to finish this. It was so extraordinary because we, 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 we gave you the thing. We had a little party. It was great. And you went off. And very, very, very quickly, you had an enormous amount of success. And we were starting well, Q it wasn't Magazine. Quick, was it? No, well, it because was about a year. Of, yeah, you had a false start, year. didn't you? We had well, you uh, it. the false start, lest we forget. I was still at Smash It when oh, Western right, Girls okay. came out. Because but I, then there was the first parlophone single uh, let's melt some money and you had to get out that was a yeah. total flop right um but actually west end girls was, was a reissue was was, was, was a remake and then right. came, re- but that came out in in sort of october and i left smash hits i think at the end of march now right. the thing right. 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 No, but what happened on that yeah. day i remember was that was that I, I knew the record had come out and it was one of those things where i just thought i just so hope this record's gonna be successful i just didn't want to think about it i just didn't want to know that it i didn't want to look at any charts and see that West End Girls had gone in and at 27 and now it was 43 or whatever. And we were working on launching Q Magazine, I think, a little place in Great Bournemouth. You were. And on the day that the charts were announced, I got a call from reception saying, someone to see you. And I said, who is this? This is Neil Tennant. I thought, <laughs> oh, my God. The yeah. And I was thinking, oh, God, I, oh, no, I, I, gosh, well, let's go out and have lunch or something. But I hope he doesn't, I mean, I hope this is going to be embarrassing. I hope the single, and we sat there for a while. If you remember this, and after a while I said, I plucked up crazy, how's it going? And you said, we're number one. <laughs> we're, we're the number one record. 
in the United Kingdom. I think you'd gone in at something like <laughs> Did, ten. Didn't you know? No, I didn't know. I didn't. <laughs> only Mark. I didn't. Only Mark. I was no longer at Britain's Brightest Pop magazine. I was working on Rock <laughs> Giant Q, and I was thinking probably was, about Tom Waits. I was going to demand it to be features editor. <laughs> no, that's right. I thought you read. Yeah, and, and, and you said, oh, number one. I could remember editor. thinking, yeah. absolutely astonished. It was fantastic. The thing I remember most. It was actually a very, very slow process because, in fact, it went in at like 116 and went up and then went to number 80 Those and then the finally it got in the top 40 and then we were number 29 we were on top of the pops. Oh, well, I've somehow had... And it went on. Yeah, it actually, the about... whole thing, it took actually about uh, almost three months to get to number one. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. The thing I remember most clearly, though, is when you were in New York... Yeah. To ostensibly see the police at Chase Stadium. Well, I did. I did but, see. Okay, it wasn't good. ostensible. <laughs> I did going, actually. I did no, actually. No, write the still worried that he didn't worried. actually attend the concert. <laughs> no, I know, I know he went. I know he went. <laughs> I did. I it, did. It's go. my most precious memory of that whole time is that Steve Bush and I had gone out to see Felix Dennis, who wanted to launch Smash Hits in the States. That's right. And Neil, at the same time, had gone to New York to do police at Chase Stadium, but also on the quiet to meet his great. Disco producer hero Bobby O. Bobby O. Who you'd made one of his singles, Single of the Week, and smash it. Oh, well, okay. My, that's my part of the <laughs> yes. story. Yes. And, and anyway, because, I mentioned that because everyone at Smash Hits knew Bobby O's music intimately because it was pounding 24 <laughs> 7 on the office record. It player, was controlled by me. <laughs> You're so hot for me, or I'm You're so, so hot, hot for you. You're so hot for me. Yeah, that's I'm right. so, so hot anyway, for you. So hot she for has you. a way. We're, yeah. in the, we're in the Gramercy Park Hotel. Yeah. It's a Friday. I think it's hot. Right. Yeah. It's blooming hot. Yeah. The sun is blazing in New York. Felix Dennis has moved me into a suite at the Gramercy Park Hotel so that we can have a meeting that weekend. So we arrive back at the hotel. Bushy first time in New York. Neil's gone out there to, to see his, his hero. Oh, They've been yeah. moved into this suite. Neil turns up and go, how did it go with Bobby O? And then you, you looked at me, smiled, <laughs> bisecting your face. He's going to make a record with us. And we just sat there. We had a bucket of ice beers. We did. We sat there and we laughed and laughed and laughed. It was so funny. That's so great. Because actually, I was meant to go back that day and you said, why don't you come and stay at the Gramsci Park Hotel and you can come to this meeting with this Felix Dennis guy and, you know, give a few ideas or something. And, um, and so I, that's why I moved from my hotel um, down to the Gramercy Park. And it was, it was one of the most amazing we days just, of my life. We uh, just, tears rolling down our cheeks. That's so touching. Uh, we, we just thought, this is, it's like Jimmy Cagney, it's yeah. top of the world, Mark, you know what I mean? Yeah. And nobody thought it would go to any, particularly any further than that. I don't know if I told anyone beforehand I was going to meet Bobby M. Maybe not. Because I did it. I because th- actually this was a cl- you always assume you one might assume that given a free trip to New York the entire office would be gagging to do it. Yeah. Au contraire. <laughs> so I'm with Kimberly doing the 1984 yearbook. Yeah, that's right. In what we used to call Sexy Lexi in Lexington Street, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> Mark, who's editor, can't get anyone to go to New York because it's just a one-night trip. <laughs> it's a one-night trip. And, and it, I mean, it was Those a, a short straw because it was the fact to go to uh, a, a New Jersey stadium. So no, Shea Stadium. Shea Stadium. Shea Stadium. Shea stadium. Yeah. See the police. You know, I mean, when you look back at it now, really, that's quite a tempting offer. <laughs> <laughs> one Somebody's night. So he flew you. over. 
Yeah. Saw the gig the same day you've flown over, interviewed Sting yeah. at midnight at Shea Stadium, um, and then fly back the next day. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to, I'm going to go meet Bobby O. And I and those there was that funny record company Pinnacle or something. Mm-hmm. Do you remember they used to release dance records? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had yeah. a PR, um, and of course I used to put that stuff in Smash Hits because I like those kind of records. And uh, so I phoned her up, and she put, gave me Bobby's phone number, and I phoned him up the previous week. And so this is our opportunity, Dave, to, to yeah. position ourselves. Uh, post-rationalise and, and, and point out the crucial part that both you and I played in the formation of the mighty <laughs> I think we had our own trumpet but allow ourselves a little uh, yeah, just, yes. A little, <laughs> yes, just a little peep. That's extraordinary. Extraordinary stuff. So uh, a couple of moments. i, I tell you what we're going to do in a minute. Go I on. thought we're going to do greatest song. We can do it now. Greatest song ever written. Well, there obviously is... I know the answer, by the way. You so know I'm just my answer. checking to my... see if you do. Well, my current greatest song ever written, and this is since watching the George Martin Arena last week. Which was terrific, yeah. My current greatest song ever written is Alfie by Burt Bacharach. In this uh, film, you saw great footage of Scylla recording um, this... In the booth, with a, with a 48-piece. Totally, <coughs> totally amazing. Burt Bacharach conducts... And boy, does he conduct. Really, boy, does he, and, physically. And then, yeah, amazing. And then, plays the piano solo. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> he does. And I looked at that thought, is that dubbed? Totally, no, it's obviously, it's obviously what... Remember, he was always a musical director and pianist yeah. for Monet. Yeah. Um, uh, it's totally amazing. And you've got Scylla, looks actually amazingly confident. You know, that is... I read an interview with Burt Bacharach where he said that was his favourite recording of any of his songs. Really? Um, <laughs> anyway, if you listen to Alfie, it's a totally extraordinary song. That if, you, if, you, if you went through the structure, how it gets to where it gets, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-boggling. Absolutely. And what, no, of course, what's also agree. amazing is, presumably, he just wrote it to order, didn't he? They wanted the oh yeah. They wanted the song and called Alfie. It's not in the film. No, it's not, not in, in the, the film, film at all. Not why, film. why not? I don't Arrived know. I just late. read this recently because I, I suddenly I've always been mildly obsessed by Alfie actually, but I was re-obsessed by by seeing this program and I looked it up and and the, yeah, it's not in the it wasn't in the film. And also, you can't get over the fact that when you, it sounds like the version that you're seeing filmed there, the version that actually finished up on the record, because it's exactly as you remember, well, yeah, and it is a live recording. Yeah, you know the story. Live. They they recorded. George Martin Did gets like them to record it nine twenty seven times, takes or something, right. and they, then they use take one. Yeah. yeah, well, George Martin, I think, said to Backrack on the talkback, I think, I think you already have it. He said, if you go back to one or two, or it was, you, you'll find it's there. He said, I'm looking for the magic. He said, you've got the magic. And this poor girl is just <laughs> wilting. Do you, do you yeah. believe in that idea, though, that people very often do their best stuff under a real commercial pressure? You've got to do it now. Yes, because um, it somehow it produces the inspiration, I think. And also, you've got no choice. You can't put it off. Yes. You know, like when you're a writer or anything, you always want to put things off. And when you've actually got to do it, um, if you, I know it's not exactly Burt Bacharach, but if you look at the astonishing way someone can get on a roll, like Stockaker and Waterman always um, maligned, but if you look at that, that run of hits they have, oh, and actually, phenomenal. how many surprisingly pretty amazing pop songs are out yeah. there? 
Uh, and they were on a roll, churning them out. Well, Ray Davidson... If you look um, at some th- something that used to be regarded a bit like Stock in the Water at the time, which everyone forgets now, Tamil and Motown. Yeah. When yeah. Holland, Dozier, Holland are just churning them out. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing... And Ray it, Davis, between about 64 and 67, had 17 consecutive phenomenal hits. Yeah. Uh, and B-sides, like, I go to sleep, you know, just... Yeah, <laughs> stuff B-sides, like, B-sides. Is that a B-side? Is that a B-side? Yeah, oh, yeah. I go to sleep. I never knew that song, too. Oh, astonishing. Yeah. Go on, a couple more greatest songs ever written. A couple more. I, actually, I've been in my house in Durham the last two weeks, and a few years ago, John Savage gave me a bootleg CD Ooh. of the album... Never released Smile by oh, Beach right. Boys, yeah, yeah, yeah. which all you rock critics like. Which is coming out. <laughs> um, yes, uh, mega classic, mate. Anyway, <laughs> I, I put it on in the car. I was driving around the, the moors in, 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 in Durham um, listening to... And actually, I didn't think it was very good. <laughs> but I, to be fair, it's... Could uh, do better. It's, See me. It's, um, it's a bootleg someone's imagined, nothing yeah. put together. But it made me think what an unbelievably amazing record... Heroes and Villains is. Really? Yeah. By the Beach Boys. Yeah. It's a totally amazing... All the different sections. All the different sections. The... Movements. The depth of harmony in it. And also the way the harmony is is also a rhythmic, a very strong rhythmic part. It's a really... It's it's difficult to get your head around that record. I think you listen to that and you you realise why Brian Wilson went mad. Yeah. Because there's just so much stuff going on, you don't know how you could cope. Yeah, but you know what? It all sits in there. It doesn't sound contrived. If you listen to Good Vibrations, which is possibly the best record ever made as well, yeah. um, you can sort of hear the edit when it goes down to the organ or whatever it is. That's the, right. The bass. There's a drop-off, isn't there? Now, you on the John me. Savage bootleg that he gave me, um, that's on there as well, isn't it? Good Vibrations. And it's, a different, it's not the same as a single version. Anyway, so I went home and I made a CD of my favourite Beach Boys because um, I like that period. I like the psychedelic, but it's still pop period, um, and and I just thought I think Heroes and Villains is a mind-boggling song for you know the, the reasons you. I've always got the feeling about the Beach Boys, whatever you know. I know it's yeah. not quite a forty-year career, but there is, there will be somebody called the Beach Boys probably playing somewhere tonight, you know. But actually, it's three years in the middle of it, isn't it? You know, it's been the, yes. the golden period of the Beach Boys is a very very short period of time. We think incredibly intense productivity. Yeah. Because, you know, he, he must have been in the studio every day. They were knocking something out. And, of course, it's a totally different experience from a British group because Brian Wilson doesn't have the Beach Boys standing around playing bass and stuff. He's got the cream. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. He's got the musicians who play for with Frank Sinatra. Yeah. yeah. Have, you ever, have you watched that documentary, The Wrecking Crew? No, I, yes, I have. <laughs> Is that the Tamla? No, no, no it's sorry. about the LA studio. Oh, no, I haven't. I've seen the one about the Detroit one. Yeah, no. Yeah, the, the, oh, no, the, I haven't. The, the, the son of Tedesco, the, the guitar player, made a documentary. I don't know if he ever got it released because I don't think he'd click, clear all the music, but there right. are hooky copies. Not I, love, yeah. I love these things. And it's got yeah. Carol Kay talking about how she played the bass yeah. on These Boots Are Made For Walking and things like that. There's a little it's piece in our next issue about uh, Big Jim Sullivan. So Big Jim Sullivan, Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, bass, Clem Cattini on drums, played on... <coughs> what, it was something astonishing. Oh, At one point, I think, it, I I think Big Jim Sullivan is on something 11 top 
ten records in is it five weeks? I think it <laughs> you wouldn't be it's surprised. It's just astonishing. I mean, these guys are on you know everything from Jonathan Records, Peter Clark Records, obviously Dusty Records. All this, they are the band, and it's just it's a, a magical. Presumably, those guys have gone now, have they? S- session musicians? Do you still have them, Neil? I suppose they do. No, you still do. Um, you know, if you want to get a really good guitarist in, you you know who to get. Um, I think the thing we're talking about there, it probably did exist in, in, in London, but there was more work for it in Hollywood because they would do film scores. And then everyone, you know, you had all Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and yeah. tons and tons of people like that um, making their albums in Capitol Studios, wherever it was. Um, but, I mean, I, in that same period when I was talking about Dusty, Dusty was making her albums with what's he called, somebody Raymond, or his name is. Um, Ivor Raymond. Uh, yeah, and um, she'll be using, she's got, you know, John Paul Jones playing bass and all the rest of it and doing the string arrangement sometimes. How is it producing Dusty? Tell us, you, you made a record with Dusty. We made several records record. with uh, yeah. How was it? To... Um, it was... I know the answer to this, so... <laughs> it was, well, no, I've probably said so many times... Dusty was a very slow singer because I think people, particularly nowadays, imagine that the way to be a good singer is to just get in the zone and give it 110 and (laughs) cry and make lots of have lots of emotion. You know, lower lip wobble. That's what everyone thinks is is really amazing, and you know, you you uh, I make up starts to run and it's all uh, and uh, and in fact, Dusty one syllable at a time. One syllable. I couldn't believe it. It was like a pantalist version of singing. Dusty in her head took the melody, she had it all in her head, and then she went through it and arranged it so the famous Trevor Horn dictum, every verse and every chorus must be different. Dusty did that in the vocal performance, never mind the the backing track. She did that in the performance. And then at the end, it had to have a climax because she was Dusty. And so when we did that song, um, Nothing Has Been Proved, the film Scandal, which is really, in musical terms, verging on a recitative. It's got very beautiful chords and there's just a little up and down melody. Dusty, at the end, it was an astonishing thing to that. It may be false, it may be true, but nothing's been proved bit. And she gave it this massive climax. Well, it took us two days to record this. Um, and I remember when it started, thinking, oh, my God, and I'm going to ask her to double track it. <laughs> <laughs> and Julian, Men- Julian Mendelssohn is our yeah. co-producer, that looking at me, you know, raising his eyebrows. But anyway, you know, at the end, it was so worth it. So she would really sing uh, pretty yeah. much a word or a phrase... We- and that's what she I didn't say a to... word. I said a syllable. A syllable. Um, a syllable. And she d- he dropped them all in. Or well, probably would be a word, but it was a very slow. But why process. would she adopt that practice? She's she a made... total and utter perfectionist. I'm fascinated by this Trevor Horn dictum that you talk about. You say, I've never heard that before. So every verse, every Base, chorus. It's a basic um, principle of pop music. So there's just got to be some development of some kind. It's got to be different. Yeah. Even though it might be only something tiny. No, it would probably be something major. Oh, really? So you mean yeah. it's accumulating? You don't mean necessarily well, maybe the forms different? Maybe you mean you're adding strings, out. you're adding you know, something different on the cymbals? The third chorus, the big chorus, actually a breakdown, all the rhythm drops out, you know, and then comes back in again. <laughs> um, and is this to do with the number of times people are going to hear it? It's keeping it's, it so fresh. So it's not boring. Right. But also because so it's, it's not even though you listen to it enough times to make it boring. Xenomania, um, Brian Higgins and I, the only time we ever... 
when Chris and I did the last album with them, almost had a row, and it wasn't a row, but it was a very heated debate. It was because <laughs> I said, if you were repeating the lyrics of a chorus, the music, either the music had to be different the second time, or the lyrics would have to change the second time. And, and he, fair point. He blew up, because um, I was applying the Trevor Horn dictum, and this is the song Love, etc., and, and then, anyway, he then agreed, and we changed... The chorus was repeated, so it, I changed the lyrics a bit the second time, so it was different. So um, how have you found... But he's pretty much worse like that as well. Now, your most recent Pet Shop Boys record is music for a ballet. It is, Which yes. must have been very different. It is. Well, um, we quite like occasionally writing long pieces of instrumental music, and, uh, you know, we did the, 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 the music for Bacha Potemkin a few years ago. And just because it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, and it's, I actually like hearing our music in a sort of theatrical context. Um, and this came about the synchronicity of us knowing a ballet dancer who phoned me up and said, we write a ballet for him. And totally by chance, Chris phoning up two years later and saying he just read this story and thought we'd make a good ballet. And he didn't know about the phone call. Perfect. That's so because of this, yeah. we did a saddle as well as put on this ballet last month or the other four months. Uh, and it comes back next year. And it's been a really engrossing thing, because another interesting thing, like Battleship Potemkin, you're writing music, a bit like you said about Burt Bacharach as well, you're writing music for a purpose. When yeah. you're writing a song, pop song, you sit in the studio and you think, what ideas have you got? You know, um, oh, this song's to be called Western Girls or something. Um, but with this, or with Battleship Potemkin, or when we did the musical, you've got a, you're making a specific point. You're setting up a scene, you're... you're in the, with the ballet, you're, you're giving the music for uh, a certain a sort of narrative thing to happen to, and it's a really fascinating thing to do. Then, it's it's it's. How long did that take? Um, the whole thing to write probably took about nine months. We did the first act a few years, over a year before the rest of it, and then we went. The album came out, album Boys album, and then we did the tour and all that. And then we came back to the ballet and wrote Act Two and Three in about six months. Um, but how it was, do you, it's how really, do you, I mean, you just you well, we had a basic script. chord structures and then you... No, you, you, no, yeah. we, had a, we had a script. Um, Sadler's Wells brought in what they call a dramaturg to take, turn the three-and-a-half-page story <laughs> to this into a 25-page uh, script, a bit like a film script, like a shooting script. And so we started at the beginning and worked through to the end. Um, and also we learned from Archie Potemkin not to be so... Uh, repetitive. Bachelor Potemkin, we really wrote eight bar well, sections. It's different because you're, you're actually the action is already there. It's already there, and so yeah. you've got to you've got to you've got to be in, in sync with it, haven't you? Yeah, and with computers, of course, you can sync. Can up. You play that great show at uh, Trafalgar Square. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> this is a question from uh, further questions from the massive on Twitter. I'm not scared. Uh, it says Neil, are you thrilled when you hear music uh, from Pet Shop Boys being used as backing on BBC radio or TV shows, or whatever? Yes, the, the last uh, great time that happened was when we were in Liverpool playing a concert and it was the World Cup when Britain, England, I should say, yes. went out of the World Cup. <laughs> and actually, Could have been I, any four I years. Really, <laughs> <laughs> I don't really watch a lot of football, but I did watch that. And we, we were in, in this hotel in Liverpool and uh, England went out and all the rest of it. And this music started and I thought, oh, yeah, I know this. It's like... <laughs> It's some classical thing or something. And then I realised it was our... Oh, actually, yes. we didn't write it, actually. Diane War uh, Warren wrote it. It was numb 
yes. from our, our album Fundamental. This was the great wrap-up of the... Yeah. I saw this. They did the montage. They did the montage. And you didn't know anything about it? Nothing. So they hadn't... So when it started, was... I literally thought, oh, God, this is familiar. I knew it. What is it again? And then I suddenly thought, oh, it's, um, it's numb. So we... So England went out the World Cup... We were over the moon. We, <laughs> we got the montage. <laughs> we got the montage. <laughs> I was thought it was funny. I thought it was interesting. The royal wedding, um, the end of it, the montage, and I was wondering whether they were going to use George Michael's record he made for the wedding, um, and they chose a really strange. Who did they? Who did they choose? Well, they chose she. By Charles Aznavour. Um, <laughs> sung by a sheep. But oh, sung by Elvis Costello. Oh, yes. From, my from Notting Hill. Yeah. Is it from Notting from Hill? From Notting Hill, yeah. I like that version. Of course, the Julia Roberts you know and the companies. Yeah. There could have been better Elvis Costello songs even to have used, but I thought it was a very strange choice of song. Very peculiar. You must have been asked to be on uh, a judge on Britain's Got Talent or something like that. You must have been. I was asked to be the um, headmaster of um, what, Jamie's school? school? Oh, the academy. Fame academy. No, Fame academy. Fame academy. One where you're in a house in Hampstead or something. And um, I haven't been asked to be a judge on Britain's Got Talent, but, but I was asked if I would like to be considered as Simon Cowell's replacement on American Idol. No. Last year. There's got to be a big wedge you, in it, surely. I had a phone conversation with them, um, but I said no. Actually, you know, I, got, I hadn't seen American Idol, and, and I, I saw it. I, I got them to send over DVD of some episodes. Why I thought, do you think they'd ask for you? I can't, they wanted someone... I think they wanted someone British... And they said, and we had this phone call, they said, oh, we like the way you're so opinionated. You see, um, they want the British to be the, the bad guys, don't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's, like it's like in the movies. It's, it's like, like casting Charles Dance in Yeah, you've got to be exactly. catty, <laughs> yeah. sarcastic. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and the Americans could be wildly enthusiastic and upbeat. And then look at you, askance. Somebody yeah, also flattered to be asked. Very flattered. Yeah. Somebody also asked, KTEL66, and I don't know where this comes from, but it's not a bad question. Would you consider doing the Likely Lads the musical? I think that must be some Geordie kind of thing. <laughs> um, you can imagine that, can't you? Not necessarily for you, but... Uh, track one, Deidre Birchwood. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, no. I guess right. maybe Billy Elliot's covered that area. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and what's your favourite Bob Dylan uh, long ballad? Is it Desolation Row or Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands? Of those two, yeah. I prefer Sad Eyed Lady, Lady of the I love, I love the idea that yeah. the assumption is you've obviously got one. Everyone's got a favourite long ballad. <laughs> they have. There aren't that many long Bob Dylan I ballads. remember saying to Louis Walsh many years ago, you know, there's a really good Bob Dylan... You're, you're going to think I'm taking the piss now, but there's a really good Bob Dylan song that Westlife could do. It's not a stupid idea at all. What and was he it? Said, and he thought... Cause People, a lot of people think that I'm being cynical or ironic when yeah. I'm saying these things. Actually, I was being totally serious. And it was, I could make you dee dee, make your dreams come true. What is it? Oh, to make it, well, to make you feel my love. Which, yeah. well, you know, is well, done. Then, well, then, Adele, Adele at the royal wedding. We're back well, to the royal wedding. Well, yeah. this was the story on Twitter on the day of the royal wedding that the first dance of the happy couple was going to be to Adele's version of To Make You Feel My Love. And I thought, if you're Bob Dylan, you're 70 this year, that's quite cool. 
Because that, to be honest, because they're never going to ask for just... Bob Dylan's growling, <laughs> are they? So he you know, still knows how to They had that on the montage too, didn't they? Yeah, I think they had. Oh. That was the first song on the montage, and then it was she. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I always thought when that when that album came out, I thought, well, I was playing these records. Nick, what's the hit? I'm sure Bob Dylan. That was. I'm sure Bob Dylan does the same thing. But then Chris Heath told me that Bob Dylan thought the same thing, so much so that the first person who released that song was not Bob Dylan. Who was it? Oh, go on. Billy Joel. Really? Yes. And it's actually, unfortunately, um, not a very good version. Because I downloaded it, and you, actually, you can see why it wasn't a hit because he kind of murders it. Really. You must have seen uh, the Bob Dylan film No Direction. Is it called No Direction Home? The Scorsese yeah. film. Oh yes, yes. where he, talk, he talks in the early days about Artie Mogul's huge part in his career, doesn't he? You know, everybody. It's really interesting because everybody thinks of Bob Dylan as being this inner directed artist, and the, and then Artie Mogul points out that he only got started because people covered his songs. That's what made him it's famous the birds, in the first because the birds and Peter well, Paul and Mary Peter Paul have and Mary, it's Trini Lopez, it's all kinds of well, that was, corny that as was you like. Marlena Dietrich, I think, used yeah. to do Bob Dylan songs. She used to do Blowing in the Wind. Yes. You know, that's what made him famous. Yeah. And so he always had a kind of song publisher's ear. Actually, Bob Dylan was made famous to the public by Peter Paul and Mary. People are married. Blowing the wind. Yeah. Specifically yeah. by that song. Yeah. 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 Which was Albert Grossman's idea, I think. I, again, the same I was with the Beatles. If you look was... at Paul McCartney, you know, Paul McCartney and John Lennon are sitting there in about 1963. They're on tour with Helen Shapiro. They're writing songs for her in the back of the bus. They're writing, you know, Brian Epstein rings them up and says, you know, the, uh, Billy J. Kramer's got a, we've got a slot on Thursday to record something. Bad to me. You know, uh, it's incredible. Uh, no, I've been having, bizarrely recently, as you say that, a bit of a Billy J. Kramer thing. Oh, no. <laughs> Why My not? sister Susan bought um, "I'll Keep You Satisfied" oh, yeah, yeah. and "Bad to Me," and I was Bad trying. To me is a great song. And I was trying to remember. I remember I always loved the B side of "I'll Keep You Satisfied." I couldn't remember what it was. And suddenly, it could be, I could look it up on the internet, and it's this song called "I Know," and I think it's co-written by George Martin, and it's a great. And anyway, I started listening to those. I'd forgotten the Beatles I used to write the B sides of some of those singles as well. Yeah. Um, and um, and the, 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 they definitely so not only were they so to return to the George Martin Arena in 1963 didn't he say some statistic about how many weeks he had at number one yeah and he only got salaried <laughs> yeah but he beat Norrie Palmore Norrie Palmore yeah, it was, was all about beating yeah, Norrie Palmore and, then, to him, and he had such a chip on his shoulder that he didn't get I really sympathise he, he says in 1963 he's all he's still success, annoyed and he's still not and he's still annoyed. he's not given I think everyone got a staff Christmas bonus that had such a good year Parlophone they didn't give him but he didn't because he was an executive he didn't get one <laughs> and he was still transparently furious about it wasn't he and I thought fair enough fair you know. enough it was, it, was, it, was, it was funny that I was annoyed he still was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she yeah. said, I've still got a chip, Michelle. So we're we going for lunch now. We're going for lunch, we are. We're going for lunch. Starter? What should we have starters? Oh, I don't know. We're having Spanish, aren't we? I think so. There's something with chorizo sausage. I think so. <laughs> I and maybe chorizo. one of those Alhambra beers. There's a possibility. Exciting of, uh, bottles. Uh, I'm Neil, have a thanks very sherry. much for coming. In. Sherry glasses. They, have, sherry, they yeah. have very good dry yeah. sherry, don't they? We've got to complete the formalities. Neil, thanks very much for. Thank you, thank the, you for having me. The podcast studio. I've got to point out that on ne- next week is the hundredth issue of Word, and there's a CD comes with it, which has as well as the normal fifteen tracks, it has what we're calling the Notcast, and that's half an hour of audio, which you can only hear if you get the CD, and that's got me and Mark and Paul Denoy and Kate. Kate Mosley. Mosley. It sounds like a very clever device. If I encourage you to buy the magazine, it could be. <laughs> so you know, you're not going to hear. Can that I say this magazine will be worth buying? Yeah, absolutely. It's a very, very strong issue. 
If you've been affected by any of the issues in this podcast, go to wordmagazine.co.uk or apply at your newsagent. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.